witticism. Colloquialism. Segway. You're such an egotist. Yes. By the way, guys, I'm really humble. Well, how do you do? Now when you get for free. Oh, God, it's awful. Bad Philosophy. Episode 151. Recorded on Sunday, April 13th, 2014. You're welcome, Google. All right. Hi. It's Bad Philosophy. I'm Stephen Torrance. I'm not. <laughs> he is very much not. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I, yeah, I'm your host. Um, he's, he's not your host. <laughs> I'm somebody uh, else. Kevin, how are you this fine Sunday afternoon? It's uh, been doing weeks. pretty good. Um, it's my day off, so I only had to go into work for an hour because that's what day off means now. Uh-huh. Um, and then I went grocery shopping and bought some stuff for dinner. And now I'm trying to distract a cat with a stick with the feather on the end of it. Is it, is it working? Stick. Pretty much. I'm trying to wear her out because uh, <laughs> she likes to be distracting. So you can see the stick. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like a feather stick. Yes. It's very, it's very feathery. The the stick it, pre- it pretends to be little animals. And there's Felicity trying to get the feather stick. Oh! <laughs> Back over here now. <laughs> well, I mean, as much as we love cats, we, we, sh- we should probably talk about, about some philosophy. We can do the philosophy sure. of cats just randomly. I don't know what that I would, would be. I would be intrigued in um, something to do with, like, cats plus the internet. Because when you talk to people in the real world, cats are not as big of a deal mm. as they are on the internet. Yeah, I I mean, didn't didn't Idea Channel do an episode that that was like our cats know. the internet? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I know there's a song called "The Internet Is Made of Cats," which is a great song. It I'm I'm pretty sure that, that cats are a big reason why the internet is the internet. Yeah, and yeah. It started with cats, and then and then we just and we just put cats. everything else on there because we we got we were like, well, I mean, now the cats are here. <laughs> Have you heard of the Infinite Cat Project? No. Tell me more. Um, so this started like years ago, and it's still going. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to Google it real quick. In- Infinity Cats sounds like a lot of cats. Um, the Infinite Cat Project. InfiniteCat.com. Sure it screen. is one. It is. Um, there are currently 1,700 cats. Um but it, it started with a picture of a cat. Mm-hmm. Cat number one. Um, Frankie. Frankie is looking at a rose. And then someone took a picture of cat of a cat looking at Frankie mm-hmm. on a computer. Ah. It's an iMac. Like it's mm. a first generation iMac, which tells you how long ago this started. <laughs> um, it's actually the first second photo is actually Frankie looking at Frankie. Oh. But then it goes on to Poozy looking at Frankie, looking at Frankie, and so on oh. and so forth. Can you show your and screen so, uh, real quick? Can, can you see what, uh, yes. uh, what this looks like for for all um, the all the all the zero viewers that we have going how on? How do I screen share again? I figured it out once. There it is. So so you see the the various cat iterations, oh, and we go to like, the next it's one. It's like Catception, yeah. And the next one, and the next one, oh. and there are there are now, as I said, seventeen hundred currently. Wow. That exist. Has anyone so done like a page. done like a zoom where they go all the way from the first one to the to the? I most? don't think so. That would be that would be but so cool. I don't know the last time it was updated either. Um, <laughs> like for 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 a thousand, I feel like that would be a really cool project to just to yeah. just see all. And and just back like like, did you ever have the Zoom books as a kid? Did you ever did you ever read yeah. those? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well enough cats. My God, cats! The internet they just they just eat Whoa. everything. Whoa! What? Infinite screens. Infinite. Oh my God! <laughs> that Good. was screen sharing. Very appropriate. I was Kevin. screen sharing the <laughs> screen that I was sharing that I was sharing the screen of the screen that I was sharing. Yeah. That well, was, that was we're, we're not going to be terribly meta all the time on this show, folks. Um, we, we do actually have some philosophy to talk about. Sure, philosophy. Um, philosophy. So, so this, this last couple weeks, uh, I've, been, I've been moving from one, or my company has been moving from one office to another, which did not happen all at once. Uh, we moved out of our uh, existing office into the basement of that building so that the other people the new tenants could move into into that space because we couldn't yet move into our new space. 
So uh, that happened two weeks ago, and then today we moved from the basement of our old place into our new place. And during that two-week period, I, I became even more of a, of a coffee shop Bedouin than, than I usually am, uh, which is a lot. So I, I, was, I think my, my record was I hit up like four different coffee shops in a day, and also That's... a lot of walking around downtown Austin and just working on random park benches and stuff. And um, during this time, I, whenever, whenever I'm walking, I, I listen to podcasts most of the time. That's, that's what I'm doing. And I listened to three or four primary ones recently. Um, I'm into the RSA, the Royal Society of the Arts feed, um, Planet Money, uh, Philosophy Bites, and When It Posts, Radio Lab, <laughs> which is rare <laughs> these days, it feels like. Kevin, Kevin, what what podcasts are you in, into, real quick? Um, Rabbit, Rabbit actually, Trail. I haven't been listening to any podcasts lately. I'm, I re-downloaded a podcast app. There, I think I mentioned before, like all my phone drama, how mm. I'm not on the phone that I was. I used to be on this phone. It was the Droid Razor Max. Mm. It was not very good. Okay. Before that, I was on this phone. It's the HTC One. Huh. No, incredible. One is the like current one. Ooh, yeah. Reflection, um, which is not a terrible phone. Um, and because this phone was terrible, I switched to this phone, which is old, but not <laughs> terrible. Um, and I put a new operating system on it, and I had to flash everything, and so I had to redownload the podcast app, which I didn't do until today. Um, so, podcasts I'm trying to get back into are This American Life, because it's the gold standard mm. in informative podcasts, in my opinion. Um... The Alton Brown cast, because it's like listening to Good Eats episodes, mm -hmm. and I love that. Um, what do you, ever, do you ever find yourself like getting hungry while, you, while you're there listening to it? And it's... Uh, not so much on the Alton Brown cast. Okay. Now, <laughs> Splendid Table with Lynn Rosetta Casper, mm -hmm. she makes you hungry. Like, she makes <laughs> everything sound amazing. Um, she could talk about a cat food recipe, and it would be like, I'm going to start eating cat food yeah. now, because it sounds so good. Okay. Um, which is, it's a, it's a public radio show that also is, has a podcast version of that I don't listen to as much because mm -hmm. it does make me hungry. Mm. Um, those are two. Um, Spider on the Web, which is not a podcast that updates ever. Um, <laughs> so you're listening to the backlog or, or just... Well, not even, not even that. Like, it's just like every time there's a new episode, I get super excited. One of my favorite authors of all time is Spider Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, possibly my favorite like author. I've read all, almost all of his work. It's like one I just found that he wrote in the 70s, and I'm like, I've never read this book. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, very formative in terms of my love of science fiction and just reading in general. I read all of his stuff when I was younger, younger being like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and a lot of his stuff influenced my worldview. I don't, don't necessarily think that we share a worldview, but it influenced it. Anyway. He's got a podcast. He's got a podcast. Um, where he alternates between like music episodes and reading episodes. So he plays music from people he likes. Mm. Um, but then he'll do like readings from his stories or his books or other people's work. Um, he read uh, Cory Doctorow's short story, for example. Okay. Um, over the course of a couple episodes. Um, they're really good. Um, sadly, um, Janine Robinson, his wife, died a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. Um and it it really hit him hard. Like she had cancer for a long time. Mm. There was a lot of um, like save Janine sort of campaigns. They auctioned off. And I wish I had money because I totally would have tried to buy it. They auctioned off his personal uh, Spider Robinson's personal copy of the complete works of Theodore Sturgeon, mm. who is another like amazing science fiction author who I've only discovered more recently, mm -hmm. um, but is a much older like. 30s 40s 50s era mm. um science fiction. like if i were if i were to pick like one science fiction author from each era like it would be theodore sturgeon robert heinlein spider robinson mm. for like the early mid and late period sci-fi yeah um so the fact that there would have been spider robinson's personal copies of theodore sturgeon's complete <laughs> works would have been super exciting for me but i don't have that kind of scratch um so the, and at the time, I'm pretty sure when they did that, I was actually unemployed. So I definitely didn't mm. have that kind of scratch. Worth taking a loan and out it, for? Come on, <laughs> probably not. No, not okay. a great investment. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of um, non intrinsic value. Yeah, no, hey, look at him segueing yeah. over there. This is, why, yeah. this is why I keep this guy around, folks. This, he keeps <laughs> he gets me back on track, and vice versa. 
Um, yeah, so speaking of, of intrinsic value, <laughs> podcasts are something that, that I, I, well, okay, no, I don't find them intrinsically valuable. I find them <laughs> valuable because of how they, like, like you said, Kevin, they, they sort of shape your worldview, shape your mind, and um, certainly shapes my mind. And, and it, it, I find, you know, weird, weird like correlations between the mm-hmm. different podcast feeds tend to, to be a signal to me that something is, is a little bit more important, right? Than, than, I, I don't know, it, it, or, or that there's maybe that something is becoming more of a zeitgeist or it's a trend or something among, because I, I, I don't know the interconnections between these intellectual circles. And it seems to me to be kind of a Leibniz Newton situation where a thing a thing sort of emerges out of the, the network of the global consciousness when it's right, <laughs> like sure. when it's the right time for it to be thought about. And so if, okay. if, if things sort of arise independently, I go, hmm, wait a minute, maybe this is a thing. Um, and that's kind of where this show's epigram comes from. Let's let's begin with, with those, shall we? Yeah. 20 minutes <laughs> into the episode, let's, let's share some epigrams. Let's actually begin where we're supposed to be. Uh, let's see, which one of these am I going to pick? Um, all right, well, but I, I've got kind of a dual epigram today that comes from Roberto, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Roberto Mangiabera, or Mangiabera Unger, Roberto Unger. He is, uh, is a professor of, uh, he's taught political science at Harvard and is a, has been a Brazilian politician, has spoken extensively on the topic of um, political change and social change and the kind of change that we need here. Uh, if you hear the word change a lot and think of Barack Obama, you would not be uh, wrong to make that association. He taught Barack Obama at Harvard when Obama was going to Harvard and um, maybe significantly influenced him uh, to have kind of the outlook that, that Obama took. And interestingly enough, side note, anecdote, switched his support of Obama in 2008 to vehement uh, what's the opposite of support? Opposition. Yeah, yeah. Opposition. Or, or disownership, something like that. In 2012, because Obama was not able to bring about a significant change in Unger's mind. So, mm-hmm. without well, further not, Probably not just Unger's mind. There's probably a lot of people who felt similarly. Probably. Um, and and here's, let me read some of Unger's words and maybe you'll get a... Uh, this is him on Social Science Bites talking about the field of social science. Um, of which he he considers economics to be a a a subset of uh, the social sciences. The pseudoscience of economics is powerfully enlisted in the service of apology rather than of explanation. Let's rebel against it, get rid of it, and transform it. Over time, we can create structures that allow us to engage in them without surrendering to them and that the creation of such structures is intimately connected with our most fundamental material and moral interests. After all, we are, be- we are the beings who are formed by context, but who always transcend context. Um, th- these are two quotes from different bits of this podcast, which we'll link to, and I highly recommend that y'all uh, listen to as well. Um, so Unger, Unger is generally angry about our inability to bring about significant changes in the um, the kind of the, the structures that uh, that we live within that we're unable to sort of take control of, of our context like we used to be able to um, and, we'll, and and well I'd, I'd like to kind of throw in my um, two epigrams at this point because I, I chose them in, in counterpoint okay. to um, <laughs> To yours. All right, go for uh, it. So I'm going to go ahead and um, pull those up. And these are these are two quotes, um, interestingly enough, by science fiction authors. Um, and both of these come from a from a larger context, but um, they kind of have two different. They're also in context with each other. Mm-hmm. So um, the first is from Robert Robert Heinlein. Um, it was originally, I believe, in his novel. Meow. His novel Meow. I, I don't think I've heard of that one. Can you? Yeah. No, uh, so that was the cat who walks through walls um, <laughs> is, is actually one of his novels, not the one this is from. Oh, okay. Um, hi, Felicity. Uh, the Fel- the original quote wanted to. <laughs> cat butt. All right. Well, 
Yeah. Here's God. the cat who walks through walls. <laughs> and and really. through the internet, but clearly. Funny enough, the cat who walks through walls' name was Pixel. Oh. Okay. Just information for you. Yeah. Robert Heinlein quote from Time Enough for Love, which I've read probably not more than any other book, but a close second or third. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote is, if it can't be expressed in figures, it is not science, it is opinion. It has long been known that one horse can run faster than another, but which one? Differences are crucial. Um, so that's Heinlein's, not his only take on it, but a take on it from Heinlein. Okay. Followed by uh, this Cory Doctorow quote, which comes from an, a really interesting and important essay he wrote recently for The Verge? Well, if you'd put the link in the show doc, Kevin, we would have yeah, known exactly where it came fast. from. Yeah, I not Literally two seconds of Googling will find it. Locus. Locus. wrote it for Locus. Um, the, the essay was called Cold Equations and Moral Hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, he's speaking in, in reference to a, a fairly famous and some would argue very important short story called The Cold Equations, mm-hmm. where, like, super summary of it, um, spaceship needing to get medicine to a planet, um, pilot discovers stowaway, has to kick the stowaway out into empty space, because the cold equations, hence the name of the title, say they don't have enough fuel with the stowaway's extra weight to reach the planet, and thus lots and lots of people will die. Mm. Um, and that's really all you need to know about the cold equations. You don't have to actually read it. I mean, it's, it's an impactful story, um, but Dr. O kind of points out, and he also makes a reference to a Heinlein story as well in his thing. Uh-huh. The thing about cold equations is that they aren't a product of unfeeling physics. They're parameterized by human beings. Yes. And his sort of his sort of point is why did the ship only have exactly enough fuel to get to the planet hmm. with no extra room for error? Why has it taken so long to get these medicine to these people? Why is the pilot the only one who knows how to pilot the ship? Why isn't there an autopilot so he could sacrifice himself? All these sort of other questions that come into play here. Um and so he's talking about it in a literary standpoint of like authors need to think about these contexts that they are creating. Mm. But I also kind of think it it goes into this sort of idea of these structures and this change that's sort of happening, um, and that even the cold equations, the hard sciences, are not themselves the product of unfeeling physics. Yes, they they are they not are the, parameterized the objective, by human immutable, you know, uh, externally existing thing that that they are con- and, consistently taken to be. Yeah. And I think even in the hard sciences, and I'm a little more liberal in this terminology, but I think even that those are not that case. Right. Um, even physics is not the product of physics. <laughs> um, but there are people who will argue with me on that. Um, and I understand that difference in viewpoint. Hmm. But um, so that's I, both of those are, are things that I have been thinking about lately that happen to dovetail nicely with sort of this Unger quote that you posted um, in the larger context. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I like. I don't know if those are so much counterpoints as like reinforcing points, because a lot of a lot of what Unger is is trying to get at is is we are in control of these structures, right? Like yes. we sort of we sort of forget that at some point that like um, the that economics uh, becomes it's the, the things that used to be descriptive in economics become proscriptive. Things like supply mm-hmm. and demand or uh, cost-benefit analysis. Th- things that used to used to simply be describing the ways that people were acting in cer- certain circumstances became almost like laws for how people should act in those circumstances. Yeah. And and that we we have we have ossified those <laughs> those ideals into into something that or we've we've ossified those contingencies into necessities. And mm-hmm. and he okay. is he very much is a he's he's all about contingency. He's all like let's let's have this be a perpetual contingency that the structures we create are always contingent on us, and that we're we're in the process. It, it's a lot of like permanent revolution type type talk. I mean, he's he's uh-huh. a strong socialist for sure, and and a Marx <laughs> and, and a neo Marxist maybe. I don't know if he would ascribe to that, but like I hear I a lot know, of that. I think he might. Like, he 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 named checks classical Marxism, mm-hmm. um, and not not negatively like so many people do, right? Um, but it also seems like he knows what classical Marxism is. Um, he he does. I, I, I think the so man many is, people is brilliant. I mean, he he's able to sort of do these like if you listen to him talk like he's pulling from 
from history, from from political science, from philosophy, from like everywhere, and and really, but he has he has his own phrases and neologisms to to yeah. sort of shorthand the, a lot of concepts, and I think that's it, before we get too far into it. But that that's like one of the the areas where it gets really hard to understand what he's actually trying to say. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but I yes. I believe it's it's something that that is informed by a great deal of of study and thought. That that is probably true. Um, the guy seems to know what he's talking about, even if we don't always. So I guess my my first question for you, Kevin, is like, it's tough to to ask like whether he's justified in his anger, because the the idea of justification alone is is a difficult one that we maybe don't want to go into. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll start from uh, maybe I'll start from okay. Clearly, Unger values something. Um, he he calls it variably like um, the force of life or uh, deep freedom. He he talks a lot about this 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 freedom of the individual to to move not just um, not just among the uh, information space of the world, but the geographic space of the world and the labor space of the world, and the the idea of making the empowering the individual to move with the same freedom that that goods and currency seem to be able to now uh-huh. and uh i i guess wh- what i'm wondering is what what is the force behind that that he feels is there uh against that that it, that can be a leverage against these ossified entrenched necessary structures ne- quote quotes necessary no. structures um well i think i think part of that may be what he's actually doing. We're just talking about it and, and raising the flag and going, look at this thing. This is not, th- this is made up. Yeah. We, this doesn't <laughs> exist independent of anything else. Um, so, and I think that's an important starting point um, because that alone is a transgressive act. Hmm. Um, you know, he, Like the anger he, itself is, is mm-hmm, doing that. Yeah. Sure. You know, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I, I it's so an, get that feeling from him. Like it, it's it's sort of that lone guy standing up and going, mm-hmm. "Why are we okay with this?" And yeah. really, why are we okay with this? Let's change this. And <laughs> yeah. and the, the 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 problem is because these structures that he's talking about are so massive or so powerful, it is incredibly difficult for a single person or even a small group of people or even 150 people to. Do much to change it, um, because to really have that impact, you you've you've got two options. Um, I think, and you know how much I hate binaries, so there's oh, probably yeah. a third option too. <laughs> but there's at least two options. Um, one of those is the you have to learn the system to break the system, which is one of the worst arguments I've ever heard for anything. Really? Um, I hate that argument when it comes to, like, English grammar. I hate it, hate it when it comes to anything. Like, you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. <laughs> it's like, no. If that were true, I would be impossible me, for me to speed if I didn't know the speed limit. And yet, <laughs> I can. Um, I can break the rules. Now, oh. the, the subtext there is, well, it's hard to break the... You can't break the rules unless you know how and why to break them appropriately. Hmm. But and why those rules exist in the first place, and there's maybe some argument there. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to completely discount that phrase, because I, I think it, it gets at something important, like, maybe too intentionally, like, right? You can't, yeah. before you can intentionally break the rules, you need to know what they are so that you can intend to transgress them, right? Well, there's a, the question of intent is certainly an important one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, and so one way that one might combat these sort of structures or take hold of them is to do what Unger's done here and spend tons of time studying, learning the systems, researching them, and coming to his and coming to a similar conclusion either independently or through guidance of something like these podcasts that he's on, um, which takes a lot of effort and people are lazy, so probably not going to happen. Um, are are people are people really like fundamentally lazy though? Because we we've done the whole like pitchfork mob thing a lot. Over our history, as, as a we species. have. Well, the, the thing is, there has to be something easy for people to overcome that laziness. Um, you know, a, a very important example um, is Rosa Parks and the bus, hmm. and that, that being a spark towards the civil rights movement. Um, however, as it's presented to like fifth graders, that story is Rosa Parks said, I've had enough of this sitting in the back. 
I'm going to stand up for my rights as a human being. And that kicked off the civil rights movement because nobody else had ever thought of doing that before. Uh, um, which is a very like dismissive of every black person who'd ever lived before that moment. <laughs> um, and and dude, there's a lot of problems with that narrative. Yeah, but, but, um, okay, but it's it's a useful story. It's a useful analogy. It's, it's well, like, and it was a useful event because it was planned. This, this was not an accident. Rosa Parks was chosen to become this figurehead oh. by people in the civil rights movement. Oh. This I, was I, not an I, accident. I, I, I forget that, and I, can, I could forgive it's not a, it's many not a people for forgetting broadcasted that. thing, but like the bus boycotts and all of that sort of stuff that came out of that and this national debate and discussion came from this inciting incident. There needed to be that inciting incident before anybody started taking action. And that's that's not even true because people were taking action beforehand, mm. but it became a very powerful catalyst. Right. And the person that Rosa Parks was, was chosen because of her many things, you know, ability to speak well, um, you know, the fact that she's an old lady and we find sympathy in that. Mm. Um, you know, these sorts of things all, all existed and were fed into that choice. Um, and so people are lazy but they'll get past it if you have a good inciting incident um, that that throws that into relief, that structure that you're that being oppressed by mm-hmm. into relief. So, so um, I, I can't help but but bring us back and, and draw the analogy to Barack Obama because sure, it's, a, it's appropriate sure. to this case too, right? Like he's he's articulate. Um, he's an African American, half mm-hmm. African American by birth, right? He he has. He has the knowledge of law. He has the knowledge of politics. He's he's charismatic. All of this stuff, and you know. So as much as it, it's sort of a similar instance where someone was chosen to be like the carrier of the change, right? That needed mm-hmm. to happen and and elevated to. And, and I mean that Rosa Parks didn't become a a you know the mouthpiece of this, but uh, Obama kind of kind of did. He took up that mantle, and and there's this whole narrative of of we need to we need to really disrupt Washington, and we in politics as usual is out, and you know change change change. Yes, we can right this uh-huh. idea of of we're not powerless. We do have the ability to change the system. So here we and, are six and years then he, later, and then he realized how <laughs> big the system was. Right. I think I think. This sort of realization, I I feel like at some point, you know, not long after he got into the presidency, um, he got taken to, you know, the war room or the back room or somewhere, and someone explained to him all of the things that he didn't know before he got into office because he wasn't allowed to, because uh. we keep a lot of secrets from people who aren't the president. I'm not fond of that, but that's probably what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he got explained things, and maybe right, maybe wrong, but things were pointed out to him, perhaps about people that we have illegally and unjustly imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay that he promised to get out. Mm. Um, and and while it's true that we've illegally and unjustly detained people there, he maybe had it explained to him why releasing them might still be a really bad idea, and mm. perhaps. A worse idea, and I'm not saying it is. I don't think it is. I think we should release them. Perhaps worse to let them go. Worse not from a political, not from a, a like freeing people who are in legally imprisoned sort of way, but from a political standpoint of getting into the next four years and mm. keeping our foreign allies happy or our internal allies happy and yada yada yada. And I think he didn't necessarily realize the extent to which those structures exist and the power that they have. So perhaps okay, that but, they are even bigger than they used to be. But what I hear you doing here, Kevin, is is the same thing that, that Unger is railing against. You're being apologetic for the structure. And and like at, at some point No, I'm saying one man can't change the structure. People oh, who okay. elected Obama wanted him to go in and fix everything. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. I don't care who the man is. I don't care what the structure is. Right. Well, but, but the, there's. So what? When did when did Obama sort of lose his lose his energy, lose his anger, lose his first hundred days? First hundred days, you think? Yeah. I- immediately. <laughs> so so that that's 
okay, on, on, on like a, you know, citizen of the United States level to me, that's uh-huh. really discouraging, right? That, it that, is. That, that someone could, could have all of this, this force of will and support uh-huh. behind him from, from the people that elected him, that sent him up uh-huh. there to do this thing, and, and then not do this thing. So, yeah. so is, there, is there like, okay, but, but the problem is we've seen presidents make fundamental changes to the United States as recently as 60, 70 years ago, right? Roosevelt was able yep. to go in there. FDR was, you know, with polio from a wheelchair, was able to, in three terms. Well, you got to bring it, that into it. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, he's, he's, he, he wouldn't be able to stand up at a podium and do the charismatic speech thing. Right, like he, he did it on the radio. He did. He did it on the radio. Yeah, he figured out a way to, to get that through. But he, <laughs> but he was, um, he was able to to move what feels like mountains now to us. Like you know, huge sure. government programs that employed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. and built dams and parks everywhere, and like this 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 massive economic engine, and and uh-huh. uh, and turn the nation around, and that. You you know you, you imagine like something like the the CCC or or the or the WPA existing today, and and it almost feels laughable. It's, it's like you know that 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 something like that would just die in committee. So so yeah, but but uh, but that's the kind of thing that uh, that Unger was expecting out of Obama uh-huh. because he's like no, that presidents can do that. I guess or like heads of government governments are capable of making this change. And and your argument, Kevin, is like well no, that's not possible anymore. But I, I'm afraid it might not be. I'm a little bit more pessimistic in this. I'm not. I'm not trying to apologize for the structures. I'm just disappointed in them. But isn't that attitude of simply being disappointed? And because Unger, what was his criticism? He was like Obama confused like realism for feasibility or something like that. It, it was. It's that sort of mindset of like, well, this is just how things are now. And and Unger was like, no, you missed the point. That may be how things are, but they can, they can be changed. And there's like a point at which you give up. And really, he's railing against Obama, and he's railing against anyone in this position for giving up. But that but what is what is like the force that keeps you fighting? Um, Unger seems to have it still, and maybe it's maybe it's delusional, but isn't isn't that wouldn't we be? It's like it almost takes someone that delusional to give us the thing that we need, right? Um. Yes, I think it does take someone that delusional to give us the thing we need. Um, I I don't think that voice alone is enough. Mm. So it's like that plus money, that plus power, that plus something. At, it, yeah, whatever. That, that yeah. plus learning the rules, becoming a part of the system to break mm-hmm. it. Um, so those a, sort of disruptive like ideologies is a necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition. Apparently, right. yeah. Um, that and that's really disturbing, right? That that and maybe maybe just we're we're getting on to this. This is I and and I, I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? Like I I want to be on Unger's side. I want to, <laughs> to be that angry all the time, and you know. But but Unger has 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 literally spoken to these these leaders. He's spoken to the people in positions of power. He's he's tried to do this in Brazil. He's he's run for office, and I think he's held office before. Um, apparently it's easier to, to become a politician of, of his stature, uh, or become, become a politician as a person like him in Brazil. I think he would get, he would get laughed out of, out of a county primary here, um, because <laughs> we don't elect actuals or we don't even consider actual socialists. <laughs> we no, no, we would never, we would never hire an actual socialist to be president. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not never, but not in the next 20 years. And and I, I'm sure Fox News has at some point used the the Unger Association to to label Obama a socialist. And, Probably and it's it's unjustified. It's like no, Obama is <laughs> it, Obama makes or Unger makes Obama look like uh, freaking Sean Hannity. You know that, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so that that's maybe a, a stronger point. There is like we we think we have we think we have. Um, the the levers right but it's it's sort of like you go to a crosswalk and um, you don't know whether the button you're pushing is a placebo button or is one that will actually change the crosswalk and if a change happens you can ascribe it to the to the button that you pressed um, but if it if it doesn't happen you don't know whether it's it's the system just doing its thing like right like you don't you don't know if a change you, you can't trace the causality of something anymore so yes it, it's one one could argue you never could but hmm. we tried anyway um 
I don't know. We haven't even gotten to the, the like intrinsic versus extrinsic value thing, which is maybe, <laughs> no, maybe a tangential <laughs> issue. But um, I, 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 but I really feel though that this is a battle between intrinsic and extrinsic. That that this is part of a broader um, takeover of of an economic mindset that has mm-hmm. that has supplanted an individual liberty or, or even a social. Um, a social justice mindset in our world right now that the only kind of value is market value and the market has all the power now <laughs> yes I do I, I mean I mean yeah I, I agree um, which is you know I don't always do that but um, I, I think there there is no and I think there's a lot of evidence for saying well there's not really ever a universal intrinsic value mm-hmm there's individualized intrinsic value, but if it, if it's that, then is it really an intrinsic value? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's all extrinsic, um, mm-hmm. but it feels intrinsic. If that makes sense. Uh, well, is it is it kind of a is it almost a framing issue, right? Like yes, intrinsic value of a certain proximity or, or extrinsic value of a certain proximity feels it feels intrinsic. good enough to be intrinsic. <laughs> you know, one of the arguments in the um, I think it was like in the the like sort of intro to intrinsic value thing is like you know, mm-hmm. is it good to help people in need? Sure. Um, so <laughs> is that close enough? Is it good enough to help people who are helping people in need? Giving people giving money to Red Cross, for mm-hmm. example, is it good enough to give ten bucks to a charity who says they're gonna or, or to this is this is a great one? Is it good enough to buy a yogurt with a pink cap on it because they say they're gonna give some money to breast cancer? They're gonna give like three cents because you spent a dollar on yogurt mm-hmm. to breast cancer research. Is that inherently good, or is that just make you feel good because you think it's doing an inherent good mm. um like so how far away how many steps removed should you just write a check to the susan g Komen foundation or more better should you just write a check to a cancer research hospital or better yet should you become a doctor and study research yeah, i was like, gonna say like the, yes yeah. <laughs> do, do you do you go join the susan g Komen foundation do you do you like you go like sit by the bedside of a cancer patient like what you know there, there are sort of various levels of involvement in, in it what's uh-huh. nice is the the market gives us ways of of feelings connected to social good in, in far, with farther being. and farther distance right like it used yes. to be yeah like that's where uh, slacktivism comes from <laughs> yeah you know csr and all this so so even even the, like the 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 existing structure right like this this market structure uh, modern economics late stage consumer capitalism we've called it before um uh-huh. is very capable of giving us the feeling of changing things remotely without right? <laughs> so but because we can't that's what you're right. Is is it's so distant? Like the causal chain is so long, um, and you can tell a story that that traces all of the connections, and you're like, oh yeah, totally, I'm doing a good thing. Um, but but what I kept wanting to to say to to Unger is just like, it yeah, it's over. Like really, the only thing you can do is change your the people around you. Mm-hmm. That's the best chance we have to to feel actually connected, right? Join a commune. Join a commune. You want to join, be a communist? Join a commune. Join a cooperative. You know, make go out do you know Habitat for Humanity or something, right? Like I built that house. I actually hammered the nails in that thing, and then here's the per- I'm meeting the person who's going to live in this house, and yes. that's like I am I am changing that world, right? Um, and having that direct impact feeling at the same time. Because those things are also very close at hand and are mm-hmm. part of those are a subset of the larger rule set, we we get that feeling of having made a change, but the existing structures stay there, right? Yeah. And and that's uh that's really what he's r- railing against. Um I, d- I did want to before we get too far from the intrinsic extrinsic value thing, I think what's really at play here is 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 that proscriptive versus descriptive um, stance? This is really a stance issue, and that's that's what you know all of, or, or that's that's kind of at the um, at the core of morality too. Is you you can take it two ways: look at the sure. results of a thing and do the actions that produce the results. However, that requires what we've been what we talked about earlier is a perfect knowledge of the causal chain. So yeah, if, yeah. Does so that like, exists. I, my vote for Obama is right if 
Voting for Obama <laughs> causes the change to occur in causes X sort of change in the world and improves my life, you know, by you know a thousand steps of causality, right? Yeah. Like uh, Obama changes social structure, which changes local structure, which changes my life, which you know this sort of trickle down wide circle thing. <laughs> versus the uh, and that's the consequentialist stance versus uh-huh. the deontological stance, which is is sort of value by fiat. It says, like, this thing is valuable, full stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, your argument is invalid, or, or not even that, but, like, this thing is wrong, period. And yep. then the right thing to do is X, period. And you can sort of, you don't really have to give reasons for it. It's the, it's the girdle thing where there's, like, there's nothing outside of the system that's going to make your stance correct. Take it, keep it, and it becomes a... It becomes an attitude rather than a, rather than a series of reasonings. That's what I keep yes. coming back to the anger thing. Anger has an attitude toward the world. Um, <laughs> it does, and and like at some point, that alone has has just it's like losing now. Like that attitude is just losing in the world. Uh, we're seeing religion just being completely dismantled. Like etiquette is going out the wazoo, or is going out uh, with the bathwater. Like the sort of classical morality where there's like honor and dignity and this thing is always right period, no matter what Mm -hmm. totally out. And we're, we're getting a world of, of complete contingency. Something is valuable because the market says it's valuable, right? Or it goes viral or something like that. (laughs) And I, I, I start to feel the same anger as him because I'm like, clearly this isn't working for us. And and yes. we need to we need to check. I, I don't know. Do you, am I onto something? Do you feel anything like that when you look out at the world, Kevin? <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes I I just get mad that I'm not doing anything that I feel like matters. Sometimes, um, even getting angry. Hmm. Um, so I mean, that's just more of a personal journey I'm on right now. Um, sort of like the the. The day-to-day impact I have on the world is is not what I want it to be. Sometimes, yeah. Um, so I certainly understand just the need to get out there and say stuff. Certainly matters. Mm-hmm. But but it's it matters too who you say it to. It matters. Does it matter to you that you see a change? I, I think what what goes along with it is trying to reconcile the two. Right? Is it is yeah. it only selfishly? Yes. Right. Like, <laughs> is the stance only worthwhile if it produces change? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the thing that that I think sunk Obama, right? Yeah. And sunk everyone in support of him is is you take is that's a soft morality. It's like I'm going yeah. to be angry until the change happens, and then I'm not going to be angry anymore. Mm-hmm. Unger is like, no, you're just continually angry. You build a whole new structure <laughs> and then tear it down every fifteen years, be or mad 50 at years it. or whatever, right? Like just continually be. And it's that idea of of constantly be be. Um, aware be um be fighting for for something deeper and uh and and it's like the fighting itself is what you're arguing for almost yeah and so i love his position the problem is i listened to like three or four different interviews with him and uh you know you start to hear him (laughs) repeat the same phrases the he has a really good um he has a really good analogy for for what like a government should be it should be like a parent. Uh, a parent that says to their child, "You will always have a home here. You will always be loved and supported. You will never, you will never be able to fall completely. Now go out in the world and raise a storm." <laughs> I love, I love it's that phrase line. of his because it's, oh, I just get chills when I when I hear that. It's like you're good. You have a foundation. You have you have a home. You have a safety net. And this is that's the idea of socialism, right? Is you can never you can never fall completely and be a homeless person on the side of the street. The government will always give you a baseline. Yes. Your 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 choice then is whether you want to stay at that baseline or go out and make something more, right? In America, we are perfectly fine with people falling completely and blaming them for not being passionate enough or strong enough or whatever. And yeah. and we celebrate this rags to riches uh, story, right? But I I think there's something very powerful in being in the state being that that perpetual parents and being able to say, no, you have a home always. You have a minimum income, you have health care, you have all these things. And now the choice is just how much better do you want to make the world? <laughs> yeah. 
It's, you know, but how do we get Some. there, right? Is the U.S. ever going to go full-on socialist? Probably not. And, and there the realism comes back in. Yeah. Um, does that mean we shouldn't try to make it that? Like, is that not a thing that we want to occur? How badly do we uh, and want this it? is something I've, I've wondered for a long time, you know, sort of the, the idealism versus the realism. You know, mm. I think we need idealists in the world, um, particularly ones who disagree with each other. Um, but I think there comes a point where we have to say, okay, well, what do we get up and do in the morning? Yeah. Like, what do we do after breakfast? Mm-hmm. Where, where does that come into play? Um, so that I think, I think that's where the majority of us live, but those loud shouting voices certainly matter. So I, I'm happy that, uh, that folks like Unger exist in the world. Um, highly encourage our audience to, you know, go out there, check out his stuff and see if you get angry too. Um, I don't know if I have good advice here. I mean, that, that, like you, Kevin. <laughs> I don't think I'm, there is advice to give. I'm trying to figure this out too. Like, I'm. This is really the internal crisis I'm having as well. Is is, oh crap, what kind of a world did we create? And you know, this this whole Silicon Valley entrepreneurial capitalist thing that we that we wanted so bad, right? <laughs> because of the 50s and 60s and everything. Like, this is the best of all possible worlds. We can buy anything we want anywhere. Everybody can work and do what... It's not... It's not, the people it's who not doing it. Yeah. Except <laughs> those other people. Don't look at them. Right, yeah. No. Um, and even... We can even... We can even buy, like our way into complacency or, or buy, buy our way into satisfaction about making a difference. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's the really screwed up thing that I just find that to be repugnant <laughs> at some point. Just get chills thinking about it. Like, mm. so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been trying like getting, I actually have, you mentioned the commune thing. Like I actually have been considering that because I'm like, <laughs> and, and it, there's, because there's something like, there's something deeply. Um, I don't know if it relates to like the Dunbar number, where we're only we only have the capacity to really interact with 150 other human beings, uh-huh. um, and and that feeling of like, okay, I can sort of comprehend this system, you know, of of a village size, right, of sure. 150 people. Um, but that that incomprehensibility is, I think, where the pessimism and the realism comes in. I th- yes. I, I think it would it was actually a different thing. Obama got in. And it wasn't just somebody told him the way things are. It was like <laughs> 500 different people told him 500 different ways about the way things are. And at that, some point, he just went, well too. I don't even know. Yeah. Like, he was just like, I can't process this. And, and that's like the truly disturbing thing, that it is that the system is larger than any, any group of people or any one person to even comprehend enough to step back from and change. Yeah. Um, yeah, he got, he basically got too mixed up in it. And, and that's, yeah. that's where we all find ourselves. You know, we, we can go on the internet and just find out about how crazy complicated the world is and like a schizophrenic be unable to filter it <laughs> and, yeah. and just shut down. You know, I think the filtering is sometimes the trickiest part. Mm. Well, I suppose we, we should wrap things up here. Um, audience hey we have one viewer i don't know if that's you kevin but we have no it's my mom okay oh hi kim yeah i, I switched over I, I she was she was chatting that whole time but i wasn't looking at the comments and so oh i i wasn't either i i totally uh did not have the well see i have the group chat thing but um the google hangouts control room does not let me see the chats from our viewers which seems terrible yeah like that seems like a flaw um because i want to be able to i guess i have to I have to be on YouTube and then be on the Hangouts on Air control room. This yeah. is this is the Googleverse. It's all the features are there. They're just not where they should be. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's a plugin for Hangouts that lets you see that. Probably. Uh, maybe we'll we'll get that for next time, folks. So uh, we have the lower third pro- plugin. That's pretty d- awesome. We do. We got. Let us. We we have the lower third, and it looks cool. Um, okay. Well, I suppose we should uh, wrap things up here. We're getting on to about an hour. Uh, yep, Kevin. Um, do do you have any uh, do you have any closing words, links to check out, stuff to recommend? Uh, not not so much right now. No, I'm good. I, mm. You know, fight the power. Fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> 
fight, fight it through the notice we're doing all of this within within the bounds of the uh, of the uh, structure that we're we're railing against of course we are um, of course google is is uh selling any data that we're generating here um we'll, oh yeah we'll probably we're making tons of money we're yeah we're, we're making we're making google all the money mm-hmm. google wouldn't be rich if it weren't for us yep yep you and me specifically not like us as a people <laughs> yeah no we're you're welcome google you're welcome Title. <laughs> I love how that happens. <laughs> all right, folks. Um, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, we will be back for another live show, hopefully three weeks from now, uh, episode 152. If you would like to comment on this episode, you can do so through the YouTube channel. Um, on this video, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash badphilosophy. You, oh, the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash show. Because someone else had bad philosophy already. Shaking Sorry. my head in disgust. I know. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin is Kevin is angry. Look not at, not at like the fact that you didn't get it, Stephen, but that somebody else stole it. Mm, yes. Look at that. That's Kevin's angry face. Angry mustache. Mm. <laughs> He'll tie you to a train track. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right. Yeah. So uh, Facebook.com/slash bad philosophy or on Twitter.com/slash bad philosophy. And uh, we, we really want to hear from you and, uh, and have you watch live. We'll try to give you more, uh, more warning in the future. But I think that the next episode will happen in early May before I go off to Poland. Uh, if you want to follow me, I've been vlogging recently on my channel, uh, youtube.com slash Stephen J. Torrance. And uh, I'll be putting up some stuff on the Captain Valor channel soon, too. I've, I've actually started producing new ASL songs. In, for like the first time in four years. Yeah, it's it's really fun. It's really fun. I forgot how fun it is. Good. Yeah. Haven't been recording any. There's nothing to watch yet, but yeah. And uh, Kevin, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter.com slash Kevsons. Mm. Well, okay. Way long outro done. We'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. <laughs>